and welcome to this episode of Hello Hilltop. I'm Corey Gerlitz, a junior here at SMU, studying corporate communication and public affairs, journalism, and fashion media. The month of October is dedicated to mental health awareness. The goal of this month is to raise awareness that mental illnesses are real illnesses. Mental illnesses are often misunderstood, minimized to one symptom, or dismissed entirely. Today, I'm proud to present to you Dr. Abel Tomatis, a psychologist in SMU's Counseling Services Department to discuss students' mental health during COVID-19, warning signs, and coping strategies. Welcome to the Hilltop, Dr. Tomatis. Well, Corey, good to be here. Oh, we're happy to have you. Okay, so how has COVID-19 been affecting students' mental health? Okay. Well, basically what we're seeing on campus is what we're seeing uh, across the country, if, if not the world, in terms of increasing rates of anxiety and depression, um, more folks reporting uh, initial incidences of difficulties with anxiety and depression, uh, issues with uh, sleeping disturbances, uh, increasing rates of alcohol and substance use. Uh, as well as folks who have chronic medical conditions reporting that those conditions are also getting uh, worse and more problematic given um, all the stress everyone is under. And those national trends are definitely things where we're seeing on campus with, with students likewise reporting more anxiety, depression, sleep difficulties, um, physical pain and discomfort from, from that stress they're experiencing. Yeah. Do you think the actual virus or the hysteria in the media is affecting students' mental health more? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I realize I, I do wanna clarify one thing that'll <clears throat> make this process uh, clear is folks often use the terms anxiety and stress interchangeably, and, and there is a lot of overlap. However, there's one specific difference that, that puts what's going on into context. Stress is, is basically how the body response to um, any any danger or threat real or perceived so you get a lot of physical symptoms coming from that anxiety is more um, this thought that something bad is is going to happen and you kind of get stuck with that thought and it starts impacting your mood with either worry sadness frustration irritability things like that and i say that because to your point uh, part of the challenge is, as we know, COVID-19 is, um, it, it, it's, it's inherently risky, very contagious. We've had over 200,000 people in the United States alone pass away from this. So that element of risk is real. However, this 24 news cycle of doom and gloom and death rates and everything that's happening um, is incredibly triggering because we don't get a mental break from, from all this bad stuff that's happening. And um, at the risk of overseeing the obvious that the way our brain processes information, even though logically we may know that the risk is very small on an individual level, the part of the brain that processes fear and threat views it very real and makes no distinction between uh, symptoms your roommate may be experiencing versus something you heard happen halfway around the world. And, and so part of the issue is that the risk is real, but it's this constant reminder of that risk that makes us treat that risk as more persistent or bigger than, than it actually is given other considerations. Uh, what are some of the warning signs or symptoms a student should look for? Yeah, absolutely. 
So uh, clinically, one of the things we, we look at is what impact um, that the mood, that, that the sadness, the worry is, is having on someone. And the reason we do that is um, anxiety and depression are part of the human condition, that there's nothing inherently pathological about being sad or worried. There's definitely a lot to be sad and worried about given what's going on. So what we look at clinically, to your point, is what impact this is having on someone's life. And when we meet with students or try to assess what's going on, there's seven broad areas that we look at to see what would impact that the sadness or the worry is having. And the first one we look at is what we describe as activities of daily living, which is simply uh, just day-to-day -day things we need to do to take care of ourselves. And it can be as basic as uh, hygiene, eating, physically moving around. Um, if you are sad and worried, but you're still able to take care of yourself, um, it's still concerning, but not as risky as if someone stays in bed all the time, they're not eating, they're not bathing, they're, they're basically shutting down. Another area uh, we look at related to that has to do with, with rest and sleep. Um, you could be functioning, hygiene, doing all these things, but if you're not sleeping or sleeping too much, that is gonna wind up impacting other areas of your life. Some other things we look at is the impact of these moods on, on education. Uh, are you going to class? Can you concentrate? Um, is this impacting your time management to be able to get, uh, you know, to, to get things on done? Uh, we also look at the impact on work. Are you able to, to physically go to work? And when you get to work, can you actually do the work that you need to do? And this isn't necessarily just paid work. It can be other things that you need to do in life that maybe are falling by the wayside. Uh, the flip side to work is uh, play and leisure. Are you doing things for fun, things that bring you joy, that, that rejuvenate you? If you, for example, let's say you typically work out and you run and you get together with your friends to do these activities and suddenly you're too sad or worried to do those things, that's impacting your quality of life. So now it's starting to become concerning. And the last thing we look at related to that is uh, again, social. Are you interacting with folks? Are you connecting? Are you isolating? Are you withdrawing? You can be sad and worried and otherwise still have a good quality of life. So that would not be a quote, mental health issue. We can still provide support and work with you, but that's very different than someone who has the exact same symptoms, but there are these different areas of their life where they're basically shutting down or withdrawing from. What are some of the coping strategies to help students with the way they are feeling? Okay. So these, and, and so I want to be clear there, there's actually, I mean, potentially hundreds if not thousands of things that the folks can do to take care of themselves. Yeah. Um, but they, they basically boil down to a, a couple of core issues that, that I keep reiterating to students either individually or when I do the outreaches. The first one, is what I call the performance triad, which is a fancy way of saying, make sure you get enough sleep, enough exercise, and enough nutrition. Bottom line, uh, physical health and mental health go hand in hand. If you're getting enough sleep, uh, enough exercise, enough nutrition, you're still gonna feel sad and worried. That's part of the human condition, but it's a lot easier to manage so that it doesn't start impacting the qualities of your life. So that, that's a foundation. Take care of your physical health to really support your mental health. Uh, another practical suggestion 
is uh, turn off the news, get off social media, give yourself a break from this 24 seven doom and gloom. Uh, if it bleeds, it leads news cycle. Um, be very deliberate in terms of finding information or content that it makes you happy, distracts you, challenges you. Um, and related to that, get off social media and actually start interacting with folks. And now granted there are challenges with social distancing and whatnot, um, but just talking with friends, getting a different perspective, reminding ourselves that while the world, big picture is a scary place, I still have my health, still have my friends, I still have my life here. And while I'm not gonna ignore these risks, I'm gonna put them in perspective in terms of my, uh, the quality of, of life. Um, and then related to that, if folks realize I'm, I'm really struggling with these other areas of my life, work, relationships, self-care, to ask for help. Related to that, um, if folks see that their friends are struggling, obviously try to offer support, um, but also reach out and, and ask for help as needed. And, and that is a, a, a trend that gives me hope that I'm seeing is more and more peers reaching out to either RAs or RCDs that they live on campus, reaching out to professors, uh, families and parents being much more proactive in contacting the school, contacting the health center and saying, hey, I'm worried about my child. Can someone check in with them? So uh, despite all the challenges, I'm seeing folks being more open to being really supportive. And part of that is being more open to talk about any mental health concerns without necessarily that same sense of, of shame or stigma, just because everyone is being impacted on, on, on different levels, granted, but no one can say they're functioning at the same level now that they were in October in, in 2019. So it's making it a lot easier to have these conversations. Yeah. Many doctors just prescribe medication when it comes to mental illness. How do you feel about that? So I want to be perfectly clear. I'm, I'm expressing my own opinion that of Dr. Abel Tomatis, not speaking for anyone else. Um, my, my phrase that pays is that pills don't teach skills. In other words, medication uh, can and does serve a function in terms of treating symptoms. And by symptoms, what do I mean? If you're sad, they'll elevate mood. If you're worried, it'll calm you down. If you're having difficulty concentrating or paying attention, it'll improve focus, but those are symptoms. They will not, no medication has been created that will teach you the skills that you need to live your life, to cope with stress, to manage sadness and disappointment, which again is part of the human condition. And I say that not to minimize the importance of medications because sometimes the symptoms are so severe you get stuck and you need to reduce the severity or the intensity of the frequencies just to start practicing these skills but i tell my clients very bluntly you know the medications will help but it's part of the puzzle there there are no shortcuts at some point you're going to have to learn the skills that you will need to utilize to manage whatever life is is throwing your way and uh, I say that because oftentimes folks treat medication as a magic pill. I take this, I wait two hours and magical things happen. And it's like, no, no you're gonna feel better, but now you need to start living your life and utilizing these skills to manage everything else that the medication doesn't treat. The CDC released that two out of five US residents have reported struggling with mental or behavioral issues relating to COVID-19. 
Have you noticed an increase in students going to counseling or asking for help? Um, uh, yes, uh, across the board, whether it's uh, formally more students uh, reaching out for help. Uh, and part of it, again, is just this awareness that, you know, there's no shame in feeling sad or worried because I look around and everyone else is sad and worried. So it really normalizes that experience. Um, also, there's been a, a silver lining to COVID-19 um, is uh, the uh, increased utilization of teletherapy, which has made accessing services much easier uh, across the country, if not the world. Um, also, uh, folks are talking about this more. So uh, whether it's formally asking for help or students reaching out and saying, hey, my, my roommate is struggling, my partner is struggling, what can I do? There's more awareness, there's more conversation, which makes it easier for folks to either access help or utilize whatever support they need to help them manage this and come out the other side. Do you think teletherapy has the same effect as in person? Um, it depends. It depends on how we measure success or a positive effect. What I mean by that is human beings, we are inherently social creatures. Our, our brains are literally hardwired to have face-to-face -face interactions. So obviously something gets lost um, in this, this virtual interaction. Uh, I'm sure someone somewhere has done some study to, to quantify it, um, but there's, there's, there's that qualitative difference. It's not the same as being in the same room with someone. Um, but all things being equal, virtual connection is better than no connection. Social isolation, withdrawal, not interacting with other human beings is a huge risk factor for depression, suicidality, physical illness. So when we talk about teletherapy, we need to concede, yes, it's not the same as in person. That being said, you can still do really, really good work, whether it's um, how to manage symptoms, how to uh, practice and develop uh, skills that you need to, to manage stress or worry. You can do really, really good work. And, and sometimes that work can simply be talking to someone who's, who's going to listen without judgment, who's not going to give you advice, but going to create a safe space to have this conversation. And if there's something specific we need to work on, we can have that conversation. You mentioned to me that the guy who ran SMU's health promotion recently left and that the counseling department has had to step into that role. Are you guys doing anything in particular to bring more awareness to mental health? Oh, absolutely. So, um, and again, this kind of goes, not kind of, this does go back to the silver lining of doing things virtually is it increases the efficiency in terms of being able to do outreaches, workshops, presentations, because rather than physically having to come to a location or work around schedules, we can be much more flexible. Um, so yes, so uh, I, for one, I'm doing uh, a lot more outreaches this year to uh, different academic programs, uh, going out to the commons. Uh, we're in the process of going online with some anxiety workshops. Uh, going to try to partner with other departments in terms of wellness, self-care, how to manage the holidays. So we're, we're definitely um, utilizing far more outreach just because there's a huge need. The challenge, I will be honest, is um, getting the word out because with so much going on, it's tough, it's tough to, to stand out. 
and college students are are busy. And, and I've had a lot of students who'd say, I'd love to attend your workshop, but I've got five other things planned that day, academic, social, and, and things like that. However, another wonderful silver lining of technology is that you can save this content and make it available later on. We're, we're still in the process of working out the logistics of, of what that will look like. But one of our plans is absolutely whatever outreach we do to be able to record it, upload it, and make it available later on for students for as long as needed. Do you have any additional resources students can turn to for help? Sir, certainly. So one resource uh, here on campus is the WellTrack app. WellTrack, one word. Uh, and if you go to the uh, Health Center website or even just the SMU homepage and type in WellTrack, it'll take you to our wellness page. And WellTrack is an app that SMU purchased a couple of years ago. So it's free and completely confidential. And it's uh, it's got great information on how to manage stress, anxiety, depression, self-care, sleep, you name it. It, it is one-stop shopping. And in terms of the work that, that I do with students, in terms of specific skills and coping strategies, a lot of the work that we do is actually on that app in terms of lessons or modules you can work on. So I like to say it's like having your own therapist on your phone. So anything that you need to work on with these things or areas, um, the information we talk about in therapy is on there as well. In addition to that, uh, if you're interested in some uh, additional resources, I, I do have a couple of other resources that, that I use and that I use or um, use as referrals for, uh, for folks. So uh, one is from the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. If you Google uh, CDC coping with stress, they've updated their coping with stress uh, webpage with COVID-19 specific information uh, in terms of self-care, tips, strategies, and additional resources. Uh, another resource I use quite often is MHA, which is Mental Health America. They've developed and, and update quite frequently a, a mental health and COVID-19 information and resources website which again, great information on tips, strategies, and additional resources for taking care of not just your physical health, but also your, uh, I'm sorry, not just mental health, but also your physical health during COVID-19. And one other resource I use, um, so in addition to working uh, here at SMU, I'm also in the Texas Army National Guard as a behavioral health officer, which is just the military equivalent of a civilian psychologist. And one of my go-to resources on that end is uh, the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs at uh, the National Center for PTSD has likewise updated that website to have an entire section on COVID-19. And even though this is through, uh, uh, through the VA, all this information is completely applicable to civilian population. Now, we'll tell you up front, if you go to those three websites, they're going to be incredibly redundant because we're not reinventing the wheel here. But that being said, they do have slightly different uh, uh, either focus or emphasis. So check out those three websites and it's just basically going to be one-stop shopping in terms of how to take care of yourself during COVID-19. Okay, now our final question. Do you yes. think there is enough awareness for mental health on our campus? Um, you, you know, that's a great question. And, and I know we, we struggle uh, assessing that because we definitely try to 
let folks know we exist. We're, we're in a brand new, beautiful building. And um, and we, we know we get the word out there that the challenge has been folks either accessing it or making time for that. Uh, folks are obviously much more aware of mental health issues. And so that conversation is, is happening. And really our biggest um, source of promotion and advertising is the students. You know, we can, we can do the outreach and presentations and flyers and websites, but at the end of the day, it's students who utilize their services, have a good experience, let their friends know, hey, you know, there, there's nothing scary or shameful about therapy. It really helped me. It might help you. That, that's where we get the buy-in. So I always encourage my students, uh, if you had a good experience, please let, let your friends, let your roommates, let your partners know because um, that's where we get the buy-in from folks realizing we exist, we provide good services. And hey, if my friends or roommates or partners are doing this, maybe I can as well. Thank you, Dr. Tomatis, for coming out and being our guest on Hello Hilltop. Well, Corey, it was an absolute pleasure and I uh, hope you have a wonderful week. We also want to thank you for listening. Don't forget to catch our other podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, and more. Make sure to follow us on social by visiting our Facebook and Instagram accounts at SMU Hello Hilltop, where you can find behind-the-scenes information and upcoming podcasts. Until next time, we'll see you on the hilltop.